it's good to be out here uh, in in the uh, well in the summer, not too heat, too much heat. Um, so I don't know if you've noticed as we've been going through uh, this series on the Psalms of Ascents, but it's actually quite a diverse bunch of Psalms. It, it's almost like the Book of Psalms in miniature. It's a Psalter sampler, if you will. We have Psalms of petition, of lament, thanksgiving, even a royal Psalm. Uh, the Psalm we're looking at today, Psalm 127, is the first of three wisdom Psalms in the collection. A wisdom Psalms focus on the practicalities of living a good life. They often comprise instruction and proverbial sayings. Uh, this Psalm and the Psalm immediately after it are typical and they'd fit comfortably in the book of Proverbs. For a psalm of ascents, it's got very down-to-earth uh, concerns, establishing a home, securing a city, making a livelihood, raising a family, and defending yourself from those trying to take your reputation or property. And you probably notice that the psalm comes in two halves. The first half, fairly straightforward, depending on God, the second half, perhaps a bit trickier, but the blessing of children. And at first glance, perhaps these two halves seem a bit disconnected. But they are connected, and that's what we're going to explore today, and what ancient wisdom they have for us. So in the first line, we come to a key word, house. We're going to come back to this word a few times. So in Hebrew, it's quite flexible. It can carry uh, quite many different meanings. Uh, here, why the, while the surface idea is about actual construction, construction of a dwelling, uh, it could equally mean a home, and it conveying the idea of establishing a household. The idea is, however much effort we put in, a good home is first and foremost built by God. Unless the Lord builds a house, the builder, the builder's labour in vain. Don't know, have you heard that saying, it takes hands to build a house, but only hearts can make it a home? Bit cheesy, but it's kind of like that. Ultimately, it takes God's love to make a house a home. Depending on him is the foundation of all good home life. From the community, the psalmist moves to the city. From family, uh, from uh, from a household, the psalmist moves to a city, from family to community. The word translated house anticipates this, since it can refer not just to a house or household, but also to the whole community. Uh, in scripture, we often find the house of Israel to designate uh, that nation as God's special people. And did you notice that the psalmist also moves from foundation to preservation? from the setting up of a home to keeping a community safe. But the core message, the core underlying idea is the same. If we're not depending on God, we can't reliably protect our community from harm. Then on to the second verse, the psalmist moves to work. In the society of the psalmist, work was a household affair. Unlike us, there's not much separation between home and work life, although that separation has narrowed in uh, recently years. 
So it, it's presenting us with two ways of living. Either working yourself down to the bone, working so hard that you eat misery's bread, or trusting God that he would provide. The psalmist speaks directly to us. Why do you work such long hours? Such an existence is pitiful. It's a pitiful way to live. And it's unnecessary. Sleep, he says, is the gift of God. So rest. God provides. We can rest because God provides. He is active in securing our needs, in securing the needs of those he loves, even as they sleep. So in these two opening verses, we have all of life summed up. In our own lives and in our lives together, it is God who acts first. And the wise thing is to accept with thanksgiving what he does for us and join him in his work. God is our founder, our protector, and our provider. And you see how forcefully the psalmist expresses this. Uh, literally, he's saying, without the Lord, building a house or watching over a city is useless. Similarly, it's useless getting up early and staying up late, toiling to make a livelihood. A livelihood. Now, if you're more familiar with the wisdom of Proverbs, these, with, with, with its warnings against laziness and its, uh, its, its commendations of hard work, this is a little bit of a surprise. But what is, the psalmist is not dismissing hard work. He's not dismissing conscientiousness. He's pointing out the futility of relying on hard work in the absence of dependence on God. So how does this work out practically? What does it look like for us to let the Lord build our homes, protect our community, and provide for our needs? Well, if, if we did trust God in this way, we would be humble and thankful, recognizing that hard work is no guarantee for success that our family, our friends, our church and our city's health, uh, prosperity and peace are all blessings, all gifts from God. We'd be able to rest. We'd be able to put, a work out, put aside our work, confident that our Father in heaven knows our needs. We'd be generous. We'd be able to share what we have with those in our lives and in our community. And we'd be able to trust Jesus' word when he said that we will receive all we need when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We'd be ready to take risks for Jesus, trusting that he will not let us down when we put serving him and his kingdom before working for our own needs and desires. And we are like this. These, I think, are characteristics uh, of inner West. But if we're honest, we often don't live like this. Right? We can often first seek material security and personal fulfillment. And Jesus gets just the energy, the time, the money we have left over. Sometimes, particularly when we're busy or we just can't seem to make ends meet, 
We do the minimum for the kingdom. We go to church and MC, we pray, we read the Bible when we have time. We tithe our income, that the bit we can spare, so that we can focus on building our own families, our own careers, and guarding uh, our resources for our own enjoyment, our holidays, and our retirement. Or we can try and do both. We can try to build up our own lives and build up the church at the same time. Perhaps the reason that you get up early and go to bed late is because you're trying to build the kingdom yourself. That can only end, only end in burnout. So where can we find the confidence to trust God and to take risks like resting and making sacrifices in order to seek the kingdom first? How can we be sure that God will provide? Well, the second half of the psalm gives an answer, although it's going to take a bit of unpacking to see how it's an answer for us. So the second half of the psalm focuses on how children are God's blessing. That key word, house, can mean family. So this is not really a shift in topic. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring a reward from him. That word, heritage, is the word used repeatedly in the book of Joshua to describe when God is apportioning out the land, the promised land, to the tribes of Israel. Each tribe, each family was given its own heritage, its own estate. Of course, in the ancient world, land was more than just a place to live. It was more than just a property. It was, most importantly, a place to grow crops and to raise animals. It was the basis of your, your livelihood. Likewise, in such a world, children were a heritage in that they provided the labor to work that land. Having children when you were young meant that as you grew up, as you reached middle age, your children would already be old enough to be working the land and supporting the family. So thus, children were a source of economic security. In fact, in such an agrarian world, the strength and fertility of the young were really the economic and political foundation of the whole society. But the psalmist actually points to a different reason that our sons, in particular, are a blessing. In the ancient world, even to a greater degree than it is today, family was the only truly reliable support network. We didn't have all the they didn't have all the institutions that we have today that we can uh, go to when we're in need. The final line of the psalm uh, literally says, they shall not be shamed when they speak with their enemies at the gate. And yes, the city gate was the place uh, where disputes were mediated, and so you could uh, see this as talking about a court case, as the NIV does. But I think given the military language, the likely situation here is actually uh, the prelude to uh, war, the prelude to an armed conflict. When you are at the city gate, you have enemies on the other side of that gate, and you are talking, you are trying to uh, persuade them not to attack. And when you have many sons who can fight for you, uh, that can be 
the difference between uh, keeping your community safe and having everything taken from you. I said this was an answer for us. <laughs> How so? I mean, some actually do take this to mean that we should get married young and have lots of children. Well, that boat has sailed for me. And I think the blessings here is actually uh, more about having an extensive network that we can rely upon. We live in a very different society, as I said, with more institutions, more resources available to us than just family and tribe. So what does Psalm 127 say to us? Well, firstly, it does affirm the importance of family and it can be a rebuke to our individualism. Yeah, family can be really messy. Uh, and sometimes it's just easier to avoid mess, to avoid family, to let uh, our brothers and sisters, our parents, just get on with their own life, deal with their own stuff. You're dealing with your own stuff. And I'm not saying that we should stay in situations where there are abuse, but actually that disconnection from wider family networks can create the very isolation where toxic relationships can, can thrive. We can also thank God that there are so many supports available to us, from hospitals to treat us when we're sick, to the police who keep us safe. You don't have to rely on city gates and going off to fight. From welfare for those who can't support themselves to the essential workers who are keeping our cities running uh, even in the pandemic. I think also it's an opportunity to reflect on how we have largely replaced the family. We've outsourced the support families once provided to professionals, to cleaners, childcare, teachers, therapists. Now at the individual level, there's nothing wrong with paying any of these for help instead of relying on family, particularly if the family is not available to help. But notice that when we do that, we're replacing relationships with transactions. The more we do this, I think the more brittle our networks become, the more brittle society becomes. On the other hand, there are those who just can't afford to pay for all these services. I mean, in, in the coming election, um, childcare is a big, is a big uh, topic to campaign on because it's just so expensive, but also so essential, it seems, for many people. So for those who can't afford to pay for these, in, in some senses, and if you look at the statistics, this is borne out, that marriage and a stable family life are becoming luxury goods. They're becoming goods that many people can't afford. What are our responsibilities uh, to people in, the, in that situation? So it's not just that we live in a radically different society uh, to the psalmist. Jesus also had a radically different take on family. He said that true family is not based on who related to, but on how we relate to him. When he was told his family was looking for him, he replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mothers, here is my mother, here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother 
and sister and mother. This redefinition of family is what binds us together. In Christ, the Father in heaven has made us children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So this is how we can trust God, that he will provide for us, because he has already provided for us in giving us one another. He has given us each other to depend upon when times get tough. We are for one another the sons at the gate. And if we support one another, we will not be put to shame when trouble comes. When Jesus links membership of God's family to obedience to the Father, he's connecting those who would follow him, his disciples, to a much larger story. So we need to return to that keyword house uh, for one, one more time and consider what it means that this psalm is a psalm of ascent and is associated with Solomon. King Solomon, of course, was known uh, particularly for two things, his great wisdom and for building the temple in Jerusalem. The Psalm of Ascents are associated with pilgrimages to Jerusalem that culminated in climbing up Mount Zion uh, into, the, into the temple courts. So the final senses of house in play here is that of the house of God, the temple, and a more extended sense, the household of God. The context of the Psalm of Ascents and the Solomon connection prime us to read this psalm as more than just a collection of wise advice, but it, it readies us for when we read verse 1 for our thoughts to go straight to 2 Samuel 7. Let me show you what I mean. In 2 Samuel 7, Solomon's father David had finally at last become king of Israel. He had captured Jerusalem and had constructed a house for himself, a palace in the city. So he decides it's time that God had a house, that he would build a house for God. But it turns out God had other plans, and this is what he said to David. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. The Lord will establish a house for you. When your days are over and, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. My love will never be taken away from him. House. Home family, offspring, community, God pledging his love to, to his son. But as you, as you probably know, as the story goes, in the generations that followed David, the kings of Israel repeatedly turned away from him and worshipped other gods and put their trust in armies and uh, alliances with other nations. Psalm 127 stood as a witness against them, a warning that just because they had the temple in Jerusalem where God had put his name, that was no guarantee that the God would continue to bless them when they, uh, if they continued to desert him. 
It stood as a call to return to the Lord. But in the end, they did not return. And when God raised up the Babylonians to capture Jerusalem and take its people off into exile, the city's guards did indeed watch the city in vain. Then when the, when the exiles returned to Jerusalem, Psalm 127 stood as a caution that rebuilding the city would be in vain if they neglected the temple and the God who put his name there. So when Jesus came claiming to be the son of David, uh, he would restore this house. But the way that he would do this was not through armed rebellion, to seize power, to push out enemies, uh, to push Israel's enemies out of the city gates. No, he went about building up people, healing, freeing, restoring sight, preaching repentance and forgiveness. His weight was to absorb the violence of the enemy, to die outside the city gates, in the place of all who rejected him, in the place of all who were too busy building their lives without God, so that God's enemies, both those of Israel and non-Israelites, non-Jews like us, could be reconciled to him and to one another in one household. And in vain that the guards who watched Jesus' tomb uh, stood there, not, so, uh, not to stop people getting in, but to stop Jesus coming out. God raised him to new life. In doing so, God built up a, a new temple, appointing Jesus the head of this new house, as it says in Hebrews. Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. We, Jesus' disciples, we, the church, are God's house, his household. And since we are God's children, we share a family likeness, and it's only natural that we would be involved in the Father's business. Our obedience to the Father's will is just that. It's joining him in his work as he builds and protects and provides. It's like being part of a family business. We take part because we are family. But this was revolutionary in Jesus' time, that people who were not related to each other, who were even from different nations, different ethnicities, regarded one another and more to the point, behaved as if they were one family. Indeed, it is exactly this. In being family together, when we're not related to one another, that the glory and wisdom of God is revealed to the world. And it is in being family, loving our community, that Jesus is at work by his spirit, building his kingdom. We, we are God's heritage. We are his sons at the city gate. So this year, Let's live as a thankful and faithful uh, community, a small part of God's great household. Let's be in one another's lives. Life is busy. So let people help you 
with the practicalities of life so that you are enabled to rest and so that we all have more capacity to love and serve. But this, of course, means that we need to be willing to let people into our lives, to allow people to care for us, be willing to, I don't know, help people care for your kids, help with meals, even maybe do your housework, whatever it is that will help you, uh, that will give you the space to rest. And let's celebrate together. Celebrate being family. Celebrate the highs and lows. Let's pray together, sharing one another's burdens. But again, this does mean being vulnerable, willing to let people uh, into our hearts and along with us as we follow Jesus. So let's find, if you haven't already, and I know many of you have, let's find a few wise uh, brothers or sisters to go deep so that we can help one another work out what is at the root of our tendency to overwork or avoid work and to point our back to Jesus. Whatever it is, whether it is fear of missing out, the need to please or keep up appearances, perhaps the, need, the, the fear that life will get out of control or a fear of failure, desire for more stuff, or simply a lack of support. Whatever it is, God gives us each other uh, to depend upon. And so let's do that. Let's share our resources with one another, our stuff, our expertise, even our wealth. But this, of course, does mean that we need to be comfortable uh, in routinely going and getting second-hand stuff, not new stuff, and being less attached to our stuff and our time. And let us find ways that we at Inner West can be Jesus' hands and feet, serving our community, meeting their needs, and sharing our hope in him. And as we do this, we will discover that Jesus does keep his promise to his disciples. No one who has left home or brother, or sister, or mother, or family, or, or father, or children, or fields for me, and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Amen.